Let's get to our passage today. It's a doozy. It comes from Nehemiah chapter 7, and I'm going to read the whole chapter once again. The Word of God reads, After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return, This is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles from Nebuchadnezzar, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ra'amiah, Nehemani, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpreth, Bigvi, Nahum, and Ba'ana. The list of the men of Israel, the descendants of Parosh, 2172, of Shephatiah, 372, of Arah, 652, of Pehath, Moab, through the line of Jeshua and Joab, 2818, of Elam, 1254, of Zatu, 845, of Zakai, 760, of Binui, 648, of Babai, 628, of Asgad, 2322, of Adonikam, 667, of Bigvi, 2067, of Adon, 655, of Adder through Hezekiah, 98, of Hashem, 328, of Bezai, 324, of Haref, 112, of Gibeon, 95, the men of Bethlehem and Nedophah, 188, of Anatoth, 128, of Beth, Azameth, Azmaveth, 42, of Kiriath, Jerem, Kafira, and Beeroth, 743 of Rama and Giba, 621 of Mikmash, 122 of Bethel and Ai, 123 of other Nebo, 52 of other Elam, 120, 1254 of Haram, 320 of Jericho, 345 of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721 of Sinaa, 3930. The priests, the descendants of Jediah through the family of Jeshua, 973, of Immer, 1052, of Pasher, 1247, of Harim, 1017. The Levites, the descendants of Jeshua through Kadmiel through the line of Hodaviah, 74. The musicians, the descendants of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the descendants of Shalom, Eter, Talam, Akub, Tita, and Shobai, 138. The temple servants, the descendants of Ziha, Hasufa, Tabaoth, Kera, Sia, Padan, Labana, Hagaba, uh, Shalmai, Hanan, Gidel, Gahar, Reiya, Rezin, Nakoda, Gazam, Uza, Pasea, Basai, Meunim, um, Nefusim, Bakbuk, Hakufa, Harsher, or Harher, Basluth, Mehida, Tarsha, Barkos, Sisra, Tema, Neziah, and Hatifa, descendants of the servants of Solomon, the descendants of Sotai, Sophereth, Perida, and Jaala, Darkin, Gidel, Shephatiah, Hatel, Pokereth, Hazebaim, and Ammon, the temple servants and the descendants of the servants of Solomon, 392. 
The following came up from the towns of Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Carib, Adon, and Immer, but they could not show that they were families, uh, that their families were descended from Israel, the descendants of Deliah, Tobiah, and Nakoda, 642, and from the, among the priests, Hobiah, Hakos, and Barzillai, a man who had been married, who, marry, who had married a daughter of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by that name. These searched for their family records, but they could not find them, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor therefore ordered them not to eat of any of the sacred food until there should be a priest ministering with the Urim and Thummim. The whole company numbered 42,360, besides their 7,337 male and female slaves, and they also had 245 male and female singers. There were 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Some of the head of the families contributed to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 bulls, 530 garments for priests. Some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minus of silver. Uh, the total given by the rest of the people were 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minus of silver, and 67 garments for priests. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with the certain, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the things that you're sharing with us through Nehemiah. And Father, we thank you for the challenges that you give us, not only personally, but as a church. And God, we ask that... Um, through this text once again, that you share with us your heart and the reasons why this chapter is for us today. So Lord, open up our hearts and our minds to hear you and to see you and to truly be convinced of you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I was not a great high school student. Any of you like that? Some of you are probably great high school students. <laughs> I was not a great high school student. As a matter of fact, I was a slacker. When I uh, applied to a certain university, a university actually sent a letter back. And the letter, the rejection letter, actually said, sorry, you are a slacker. It literally says, right, you are, I don't know how they know who I am, but I literally got this letter that said that. Anyway, you know, when at near the end of year 11, it's kind of too late. You know, all your, all your grades have been is basically submitted to, is going to be submitted to university. But at the end of year 11, all of a sudden I had this like epiphany that I wanted to be like a Wall Street broker. And I wanted to be rich and a millionaire before 30. I was not a Christian at the time. And so I said, you want to know something? I'm going to start studying. And so I started studying my butt off since that, but it's too late. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's too late. You know, my transcript was horrific. But come year 12, it was time to apply to all the universities. And there was one university that I wanted to get into. It was the most elite business program in the United States. Only 20 people get in out of the whole country. And so the moment the application was made available, I, I got the application and I wrote and I, I filled everything out. And I remember not only filling out the application as quickly as I could, but I even wrote this huge essay, which it was unrequired. It was not required. I just, just sharing how much I've always wanted to go to this you know, program and be a part of it. Anyway, uh, I sent it off. And I wasn't a Christian back then, but I remember being at the post box, and I prayed before I put the letter in the post box. Anyway, you know, most universities, they take about like five or six months to get back to you with a reply, to tell you whether you made it or whether you got rejected, right? My reply letter came in two weeks, right? And I was so excited. I, I, I ran up to my room, I tore it open, and I couldn't wait to read it. But in essence, uh, 
in a very nice way. The letter read, Eddie, yeah, as if. That's what it said, right? I got totally rejected, and I was absolutely crushed. Uh, since then, uh, if I give you a, a brief summary of my life, I can't really say that it's filled with a lot of successes. As a matter of fact, it's filled with a lot more failures than successes, right? Uh, except maybe for my marriage and my children. I failed to get into law school after uni. I failed to get into almost all the schools that I applied for in uni. I failed to get into law school. I got screwed over by a church in a foreign land. I got rejected by a few women on my way and on my journey to finding the right one and the greatest one. I orchestrated a failed church plant and physically my body has been breaking down systematically for the past 15 years. Right? There have been a lot of tough times. If I, if I can summarize my life very, very you know, quickly, it's been very, very tough. Right? And there have been many times that I would sit there and wonder, you know, wow, God, uh, what am I going to do now? I don't know how many times I asked that question. You know, what's my life all about? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, why am I so heartbroken? What am I going to do? I don't know even what, I don't know what to do with a broken heart. What do you do when life doesn't go your way? And that's how it felt so many times along my journey, uh, even in my faith. And so uh, I asked so many questions, you know, especially there were so many moments in my life where my life was so frazzled. I didn't know what was left, what was right, what was up, what was forward, what was backwards. And so do you guys understand what I'm talking about? Life is like that sometimes. So the question, you know, I would, I would always ask, ask myself is, what do you do? What do you do even in your faith, right? You're a Christian, you're connected to God who like is almighty wisdom and everything. But what do you do when you have no idea who you are or where you're supposed to be going or what you're supposed to be doing? And well, all sense of left, right, and direction is all gone. Well, our passage kind of speaks to that and addresses to that today. You know, in our passage, the walls of Jerusalem just got finished being built. So it's complete. It's completed. But there's a pending threat that we read, and the pending threat is the threat of physical attack. There, there are maybe some nations that were thinking of attacking Jerusalem. And so they hurry up. What Nehemiah does is he hurries up, and he establishes guards to guard the walls, and everything in it, which makes total sense. But then the th second thing he decides to do is, is to establish leadership, right? But what we realize more importantly when we look into this passage is that even though the walls of the new city had been built, the people weren't. And that's what he realized. And what I mean by that is this. For almost 100 years, if we look, if we look after, you know, from when, after this, these walls were been built, if we look back in the previous 100 years, what we discover is that most of these people who helped build these walls were slaves for the past 100 years. Many of them grew up in various lands. It wasn't just, just in one city where everyone came from. They grew up in various lands. Many of them had either, either forgotten God or never really knew God for their whole lives. So therefore, they never knew what it meant to be a Jew. They never knew what it meant to be a child of God. And so Nehemiah realizes when he looks at them that yes, the walls may have been restored, the city of God may have been restored, but the people of God have no idea who they really are. So what do you do next? How do you build people up to realize who they are? Right? How do you build your life back up? How do you build your faith back up when you don't even know who you are? How do you guard your faith from pending attacks when you're confused about who you are? How do you break through these challenges? How do you start over again? How do you recapture the essence and the passion of following after Jesus, 
even when you felt like for the past hundred years that God may have abandoned you or disappointed you, right? And the answer is we need to return to who God says that we are and who God declares that we are. And our passage here says that there are three things that define who the people of God are, right? And those three things are what we need to anchor ourselves in those moments that we are really in search for who we are during those challenging times. And the first is this, worship. Right, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now, when the wall had been built, I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. I use the ESV there because I like the vocabulary better. But who are the first people that Nehemiah puts in place, right? The, what he realizes is if we're going to help our people realize who they are and who God declares them to be, not only am I going to put guards to guard the city and to guard homes, but the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to set up leadership. And it's very, very interesting who he decides to let up, uh, who he decides to put up. Who are the first leaders he establishes, right? What's interesting is that uh, the ESV says the first people, group of people that he establishes are singers, right? The NIV says musicians, right? And what you realize when you look into the passage is that um, these are not just the most talented people there. He didn't just choose like the most talented singers among the Jews, but he chose the people who specifically dedicated their lives to worshiping God in the temple. They were born to do this. This is what they always wanted to do. This is what their whole life was about. People who worship God in the temple. People who sing for God. And he established them first. The second people group of people he establishes are the Levites or the priests. Why? Their job was to teach people what scripture said. Their job was to help people live out the word of God and be a model of the word of God. The third group that he decides is to establish is Hanani and Hananiah. And the reason why these men were chosen, specifically Hanani, was because it says that they were faithful in character and they were more God-fearing than any other men. So the question is, what do these guys all have in common? Why would you choose singers, priests, and God-fearing men first? And the answer is very simple. You want to tell your people, that the most important role that we have as the people of God is to be worshipers. That's it, right? And you wanted these leaders to set that living example in front of everybody first. That's exactly what God wants from us. Worship is simply giving glory to God. And when we choose to do that with every moment of our lives, that's what pleases him. Nehemiah wanted these people to live their lives in worship. That's why Ezra came back. We talked a lot about that in Ezra. That was the whole purpose of coming back, to establish a community, to establish a church where the worship of God was central, where it defined. That's why they came together, and that's who they were to be. And so if we were to find worship according to these particular verses. What is worship? It means a person who has a personal connection and a personal adoration of God, right? By learning and living out his commandments in his life, which grows into a life that truly fears him and is faithful to him in all that he does. And that's the vision of what he wanted to give all his people. That's worship. And Nehemiah knew that this is what pleased God the most. Um, we talked about worship a lot in Ezra. If you need a refresher on, on worship is about what worship, a life of worship looks like, review the sermons from Ezra. It's all there. Uh, but in the context of today's message, this is what I'd like to say about worship. 
Um, worship not only needs to define who we are and what we do, but it needs to drive who we are and what we do, right? And to do that, we need to learn to make worship like our go-to mode, you know, and with every decision that we make, with all the things that we choose to do in life, whether you're facing a challenge or whether you're, fa- or whether you're, you're discouraged about what just happened or maybe something amazing happened, worship has to be our immediate response. It's got to be who we become, right? Worship God, choose to give him glory, knowing that this is what he created you for. And this is why God brings those situations into your life. And then when you choose to make worship or when you choose to take the next step in your life from a position of worship, that's when you can walk forward confident that wherever those next steps may take you, whether it's to failure or whether it's to success, you can be confident not only that God is with you, but that everything that you just did will be used to make him great and to bear fruit for his glory, right? You know, last night we had a CG leaders meeting, uh, and uh, it, was, it was pretty great. Like with everything, there were 20 of us that were gathered at my house, and uh, you know, we were we were in a circle, and we just kind of shared. Every leader and co-leader shared like the great things that God was doing in their CGs, and even some of the challenges that we were all facing together. And it was just a wonderful time. I think every person who came just felt encouraged, felt like they were all part of, all in the same boat together, struggling for the same things, and it was absolutely, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, but I think for one couple that I talked to, I felt like it was even greater. The night was even greater for this couple. And um, I was talking to Nathan and Vicky. You guys all know Nathan and Vicky. They're like the pillars of our ministry. Um, and what they were saying was, was pretty amazing. They were saying, Eddie, it's, it's, yes, what they all shared was amazing and great. But just the fact that there are 20 leaders sitting in this room together, struggling to do God's work together. Just that picture alone is the blessing, which is so true, right? Sometimes we lose sight of stuff like that. And the reason why it's so significant, the reason why that statement was so powerful is coming from these guys. These guys were the pillars, you know, of our ministry who fought when during those lean years. There were a lot of lean years a few years ago. And they were the ones that were fighting every single day. They were the first-hand witnesses to all of our ups and downs, the, the, all the successes and all the failures of our ministry. But through it all, they serve and they continue to serve. Why? Because they're worshipers. That's it. You know? They walk in confidence that in all their efforts, no matter how it turns out, God is going to use it one day to bear fruit for his glory. And we see it all here. And that meeting was proof of it, you know? Nathan and Vicky, should we give them a hand? Do we ever recognize you guys? You guys have to realize it's people like Nathan and Vicky. It's people who fight during the lean years. It's people that fight and fight and fight for for you guys every single day. That's what gives church life, you know. And so, I'm not trying to say every one of you guys should be that guy, but it'd be pretty cool if every one of you became that guy. You know, is it hard to be that guy? No, they'll tell you how hard it is to be that guy. But those guys are what give life, church's life, you know. And so become that guy. Okay, anyway, you know, I know so for some of us, becoming a worshiper full-time, like if I were to think of it, you know, becoming a full-time worshiper, the, the, the biggest challenges for us in becoming full-time worshipers a lot of times is not anything else, it's us. 
right? We're the biggest obstacle for be, from becoming a true worshiper every single day. Sometimes, you know, we wake up and we just feel inadequate to live a life of worship. I don't know enough about Scripture. I don't know enough about God. I don't know about the gospel. I don't, I don't have enough experience. We feel inadequate. Other times we feel uninspired. I know I should be, but I just don't want to. Sometimes we feel like hypocrites if we try to live out a life knowing what I did yesterday. How can I now just flip a switch and live holy and try to live for God? Everyone's going to call me all these names. I'm going to, I even feel like a hypocrite in the bottom of my heart, you know, I feel, I feel like a hypocrite singing these songs or trying to live something out with my life. There are even times that I just feel like I don't deserve to worship God. Yesterday was just so evil. No, I, I, I'm sure I'm disqualified on some level in God's eyes, and we feel like all these things. There are so many reasons, you know, that we can place in front of our eyes to try to prevent us from living lives of worship, and I've totally been there. But what you have to remind yourselves, like I reminded you maybe like two weeks ago, is one fundamental truth. And it's this one fundamental truth, maybe that might be the fundamental truth, that I always return myself to that allows me to look past all the lies. Because it's the truth. And here's the truth. The worship of God in your life has nothing to do with you or your deservedness, right? It all has to do with Christ. And what he's done for us and his deservedness to be worshipped. He's the one that made it possible. Therefore, the worship of God is all about him and, and what he's done for us. None of us, none of us deserve to be worshippers, right? Because we're all sinners. But the blood of Christ forgives us of all of our sins. And his righteousness completely covers us from head to toe for eternity, which buys us the right to be a worshiper no matter what we did yesterday, no matter what, what we did this morning, no matter what we did this past hour, because it's not about us. But it's all about what he did for us upon the cross and the resurrection 2,000 years ago. And because of that, we can be a full-time worshiper all the time because of what he's done. We can always come back to God again and again and again and again and find forgiveness in him again and again and again, not because we deserve it on any level, but because Christ died completely for us on every level. And we're forgiven on every single level. And his love for us has never changed. And every, since, every time you come back to Christ, every single time you come back to the cross, what you discover is acceptance, joy, celebration, bursting from the heart of God to embrace you and love you and to remind you that you are a cherished son or a cherished daughter of Christ, that you are the apple of his eye, and that he rejoices over you day and night simply because you are his. And if there's nothing, if that doesn't get you to want to worship him, wow, I don't know what will. And Christ made that relationship possible for all of us, not only to have the moment we met him, but to continue to have every single day of our lives. I have, I've been having this devotional every single day this week. I read this verse, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday morning, and I was just, I was blown away, okay? Uh, it, I, I don't want to say it's rare that I get blown away by verses, but this was, a, this was, a, this was, a, this was one of those. And, it, you know, let me read it to you. It's from Zephaniah 317. I'm going to read the ESV because the wording is better. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will rejoice over you 
with loud singing. There's a lot of stuff that's going on here, but I just want to let's just concentrate. I could, I could preach a whole sermon, a whole sermon series on this verse, but let's just co- look at that last phrase. He will exalt over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. Here's the first, here's one question. When was the last time anyone in your life ever rejoiced over you with singing? When was the last time someone looked at you and was so overjoyed by you that they just didn't say, wow, I'm so thankful for our friendship, or I'm so thankful that you're my son or my daughter, but instead broke out in song? Anyone who breaks out in song looking at you is someone who really loves you, (laughs) who's someone who can't get enough of you. The only time I've ever done that is when I held my child for the first time. I just started singing about him and to him. Right? That's what happens when you're like consumed. But what this verse says is that he doesn't sing over us. He sings over us loudly. Right? Loudly. Which means he's bursting with rejoice over you. Do you understand this? It's absolutely amazing. He's in love with you. You are like the apple of his eye, right? And it doesn't matter what you did yesterday, this morning, whatever, whatever. The moment he looks at you, he cannot help but to sing and rejoice loudly with gladness. Who was the last time? Who was the last one that did that in your life? I've never had that ever happen. My wife doesn't even sing about me, right? Nobody does, but God does. Right? I know myself. She shouldn't sing about me because I'm not that great. But God thinks I am. And he sings over me loudly. Every time I read this verse, I know I don't deserve it because I know who I am. But what I love about this verse is that God sees who I really am, not how I want to see myself or how I choose to see myself, but who I look like through the blood of Christ. And that's what you guys have to realize. God sees you as who you really are. His perfect child. A treasure that deserves to be rejoiced over with loud singing. Isn't that amazing? That's how much God cherishes you and loves you. And why do I share that? Because no matter how many reasons I may have not to live a life of worship, they all get obliterated by simply one touch of his love for me, or at least by this truth of his love for me. And whatever made me hesitant before now gets replaced by a desire and a drive to make the one who sings loudly over me great. Maybe for some of us, we have difficulty in worship because... We just have, we haven't spent time with the God who just is in love with us. And maybe that's more of a priority to really living a life of worship. If so, let's do that. You know, let's re-engage with God himself. His love for you hasn't changed. His forgiveness is always available, right? He's singing loudly over you right now, right? He is. So let him love you. Accept it, embrace it, enjoy it, rejoice in it.
And then out of that place, live a life of worship, right? Set the singers in place, the Levites, the faithful ones all around you, and let's live a life of worship. And let's let that define who we are and what we are about worship. Second thing that defines us is citizenship, right? And I'm not going to read verses 5 to 65 again, but that's what it's talking about. You know, these verses, these verses um, are here because Nehemiah wanted to discover who the real people of God were. And here's the situation. The walls are all built. The text says... The walls are all built, the city's all built, but there's not a lot of houses within the city walls, so we need to populate this city. So what Nehemiah decides to do is he, he decides, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to populate the people, inside this, the, the people inside the city of Jerusalem are only going to be real Jews. Okay, that's their decision. And so he pulls out this list, right? And the reason why he does is because Nehemiah takes citizenship Seriously, just like God does. You know, the thing is, I'm not sure if we in our country uh, take citizenship seriously. Are you, are you as an Australian, do you guys take citizenship seriously? Did you wake up yesterday? Oh, oh today's voting day. Oh, can't wait. Because I'm an American. I'm an American. I'm an Australian citizen. I'm an American citizen. I'm a dual citizen. Anyway, you know, I don't know who, I don't know. Anyone wake up, like, excited to ex- exercise your Australian citizenship rights by voting yesterday, you know? Um, anyway, I don't know if any one of us are that proud to be a citizen of this country, not because the country's bad in any way, but I don't know if being an Australian, being an Australian citizen has any bearing upon my life today. Um, I don't know if citizenship has that much of a bearing, you know. The only time that I ever felt that when I was 18 years old growing up uh, in America. So in, in, in America, if you're 18 and you're a male, you have to, when you turn 18 on your birthday, you have to walk into your school office and they make you sign this form. And the form you have to sign by law, you have like a few months to sign this form, is basically it's a commitment to say that if our country ever goes into war, that you volunteer yourself for the selective service, which is the army, and you promise to fight in the war for your country. And so I went into the office that day, and I don't know what it was. I was 18 years old, year 12, and I was in this whole, like, make love, not war phase, right? Peace and everything, that kind of stuff. I wore peace symbols, that kind of stuff. So I walked into the office that day, and, and the lady behind the counter was like, here you go, just sign the paper. And I was like, lady, I don't know if I want to sign this. She's like, why don't you want to sign it? And I said, you know, because, you know, if war means killing people, I don't want to kill people, right? We, gotta, we need to make love, not war. <laughs> and then she's like, but, you know, what if those people that you want to love attack us? like they did at Pearl Harbor, you know, don't you, and they kill all, all these Americans, don't you want to fight for your country? And I said, not if it means I have to die, right? <laughs> That's what I said. And then she got really angry. And then she was like, she was like, you know, like 60 years old or something, and she was like, don't you realize that so many people have already died so that you could have the freedom to sign your name on this piece of paper, right? Are you not proud? of our country and everything that's allowed you to do and your family to do? Are you not proud of all the people who gave their lives so we can have the freedoms that we exercise here today? Are you not proud to be an American? She was like yelling. And I was so scared and so shocked that I just signed the paper and ran, (laughs) right? The thing is, I was proud to be an American, but I wasn't like, I'm proud to like die for the country, be an American. You know what I'm talking about? There's a difference between wanting to be American and like, I'm so proud, so proud to be American that I want to die and give my life for it, you know? I don't know, how do you feel like that towards Australia? I'm an Australian citizen too, dual citizen by marriage. Uh, 
But I don't know. I love Australia. But if I'm honest, I don't like, oh man, I can't wait to die for this country, Australia, I'm proud of this country. I'm not, you know, that's a, maybe that's a shame. I don't know if you're like that too, but that's how I feel. And maybe, in all honesty, the reason why I feel like that towards America and the reason why I feel like that towards Australia is because, you know, and this is all selfish, and it is really bad too, but I don't know how much they care about me. I'm not convinced that they really care about me. You know, and that's the, maybe that's the reason why. But what I love about this particular list in Scripture is that God thinks very differently about citizenship than our countries do. And this really proves it. Every single person who came from Babylonia to serve God and to rebuild the city is written here. Right? Every single person. And not only is their name listed, but what they did exactly is listed. Right? What does that tell us? It tells us that every person matters to God. Every name from every family, their birth order, who they are, not only that, but what they do for God is all remembered in God's eyes. Isn't that amazing? That's why Nehemiah chose these particular Jews to populate the city. He wanted the ones who already knew that they were cherished and valued and remembered by God. He wanted the ones that truly already lived this confidence in God and this worship of God. To they want, he wanted those guys to populate the city. right? It wasn't just the genealogy, but it was who they became and who they knew God to be. Why? Why? So that out of their thanksgiving and worship, they could make sure that their city always remained the city where God was worshipped. That's what he wanted. True worshipers glorify God because they know, and they, they know that they're loved, they know that they're cherished, they know that they're remembered and celebrated by God personally. You know, if the previous point didn't state it clearly enough, I'll say it again. God loves you. He knows each of you by name. He remembers all that you do, right? Not all the bad stuff, because that's all forgiven by Jesus Christ. But he remembers all the stuff that you do for him. Ephesians says that he loved you so much that he personally chose you before he even created the world. That's how valuable you were in his eyes. You matter. You are valued right now today. And you are celebrated and, and cherished by God himself. And everything that you do, no matter how big or how small, when done with this heart of worship, knowing who he is and what, how he matters in your life, it is all a worship to him. He knows and he sees, and he remembers. And that's something for us to celebrate. But more importantly, it should be something that causes us to want to make his name great, not only in our lives, but especially within our world today. That's what it means to be a citizen and an ambassador of heaven, right? You know, I have two passports. I have one passport as American, one passport as Australian. But in all honesty, I wish I had three. You know, I wish the moment you became a Christian, God would like send down like this passport from heaven, right? Because sometimes we need physical reminders of our spiritual identity. If I had that, you know, every single time I'm in Hawaii, you know, or wherever, I'm in a different country and I pull out my passport, it's like, oh, it's kind of cool. You know, I wish every single day I had a passport. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's right. I'm a citizen of heaven. If I even had that, I might think and live differently that day. I wish I had that. But even though I don't have one, what I realized is being a citizen of heaven is kind of like walking into that school office when I was 18. Because, you know, it's one thing when you when you when you're at the foot of the cross, you know how loved you are. You know how cherished you are. God so loved the world that he sent Christ to die for us, right? And to redeem us and to save us. We know how loved we are. We know how cherished we are. 
But the moment we realize that, we also realize in the same breath that to live a that we are we're called to live this life of worship. And what that really does mean is to call it's, it's the call to give our lives to God, to put literally place our lives in his hands so that our lives could be lived for him from this point out. You know, Jesus Christ kind of sums that he says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And what basically he's saying is, yes, it won't be easy, but the life that I'm now calling to in light of my love for you is a love that chooses, is a life that chooses the way of the cross every single day, right? That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. We are to be the gatekeepers, the singers, the priests, the holy people. And I hope that's something that you choose to embrace and want to live every single day. As proud citizens of heaven, let's live a life of worship. Lastly, it's citizenship. Oh, lastly, it's citizenship. It's membership. All right, verse 70, 72, I'm not going to read it, but it tells us of people who gave generously to build the city of God. And if I can just sum it up, this is what it's saying. I think it's the picture of the local church, right? People giving themselves generously to one another. Why? For the purpose to build each other up in Christ. And if we all adopted this mentality of coming to church to give ourselves not only to God in worship and not only to give ourselves to each other in service, but especially, and this is the most important one, to be generous to each other with the intention to build them in Christ, then I have no doubt that our church will become the rock that God wants to build everything upon. You know? If you are a Christian and this is your church, please give yourself to it generously. Serve it, love the members, sacrifice and be generous. We don't have formal membership in our church, but uh, if you commit yourself in this way to FLM, you are a member, right? So be a member of our church. Worship, citizenship, and membership. These are the three things that define who a Christian is. So let's learn to not only engage in them, but anchor ourselves in them. The next time we get confused as to who we are or when things are going so wrong, we don't know what's left or right or forward or backward. They will more than set you straight. They will set your life upon Christ. Let's pray. You know, God loves you so much. Every day, every moment, he sings over you loudly. He looks straight into who you are and sees who he's made you to be, and it's absolutely beautiful. It deserves rejoicing with gladness. It deserves singing over loudly. And I want you to let that truth of his love for you cover you today. When was the last time you just sat in that truth and enjoyed it? He doesn't see what you did yesterday and all the sins you committed. He doesn't see all the, all the, all the stuff that you did because the blood of Christ covers it. What he sees is the perfected you. The you that he's always created you to be and can be today. And I love that. Let's be thankful that Christ made that possible for us. And if anything, just let yourself enjoy that truth of how much you are loved today. And allow that to proudly turn your life into to become a citizen 
and a member of his church that lives out this life to make him great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that your love for us never changes. If anything, does it increase? I don't know, but we thank you that whenever you see us, you always see us through the blood of Christ. Help us to always see ourselves through the blood of Christ as well, so that we might truly rejoice as you rejoice and love the things that you love and be a part of all that you are. Father, help us and shield us and guard us from all the attacks of the evil one that throws all these lies at us, that reminds us of all the lies and the negativity and all the failures and all that kind of stuff that discourages us from really living this life of worship instead of looking at the truth of who you declare us to be, of all that you accomplished for us through your Son so that we could truly live the way you created us to be. God, um, help our people to become full-time worshipers. People who love being proud of their citizenship in heaven and therefore now live as great members, generous members to each other, to build each other up in Christ so that we might enjoy you even more together. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time, we're going to go into a time of offering, and then we'll end with our our song, our offering song as well. So at this time, um, if you'd like to, please prepare your offering. You can give online, or you can give yourself as an offering right now through the song.
with uh, the benediction. Father, we thank you and we praise you. God, we're so thankful that you see us through the blood of Jesus as forgiven children of God, children who deserve to be celebrated, children who are made in your image, children who are created to give you glory. And we thank you, God, that you rejoice over us. We thank you that you, you rejoice over us with loud singing, that you value us, that you listen to us, that you hear us. That when even everyone else in this world seems to not enjoy us, you rejoice over us. When things aren't going right in our lives, you're the one that can't wait to hold our hands and to walk the next step with us. When we're heartbroken, you weep with us so that we can move together. And when great things happen, Lord, you rejoice with us. And we thank you, Father, that through all that, through all those things that you bring our way, you point us to you. And we pray that you help us to constantly keep our eyes fixed upon you 
so that all that we do might be for you. Help each one of us to do that here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord radiate his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.